Hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast. In Melbourne Heights, we are growing closer to God together, and right now we're doing that by taking a closer look at stories from Jesus' life to see what they have to teach us about who God is. In last week's podcast, I told you that we'd be talking about Jesus calling his first disciples this week. But unfortunately, snow started falling in the city of Louisville over the weekend, and we ended up canceling our services. So I can't bring you that sermon today. But what I can do is share with you a sermon from a few years back where we explored what may be Jesus' most well-known parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And although this is a well-known story, there is still plenty for us to learn about who our neighbor really is. So let's get to that sermon. Certain stories that we've all been told since we were kids. Our parents told them to us, their parents told them to them, we in turn tell them to our kids. And we've heard some of these certain stories so many times that we think we understand exactly what they mean. Like the story of the three little pigs. By show of hands, how many of you remember the story of the three little pigs? That's what I figured. And since so many people in this room remember the story of the three little pigs, I thought you guys might like to help me tell the story this morning. How's that sound? Okay. We'll see how it goes. And we all know how every good fairy tale starts. Once. Good job. Y'all didn't even need a second chance to get that one right. All right. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. And the three little pigs decided that they each needed to build their own house. The first little pig decided that he was going to make his house out of straw. And the second little pig decided he was going to make his house out of sticks. And the third little pig decided he was going to make his house out of bricks. Very good. Well, the three little pigs all set to work building their houses, and it didn't take long for the first little pig who built his house out of straw and the second little pig who built his house out of sticks to finish their work. So they went about and spent the rest of the day dancing and singing, tra-la-la-la-la. Y'all remember that part, right? (laughs) But the third little pig, who was building his house out of bricks, well, it didn't go that quickly. So he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he worked, until eventually his house was finished. Well, it wasn't long after all three of these houses were completed that the big bad came along. He comes to the first little pig's house, the one whose house was made out of straw, and the big bad wolf says... All right. Little pig, little pig, let me in. And the pig says, Not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. And the wolf replies, Very good. You can tell this group has more kids recently, I think. That's what's been going on over here, but that's okay. Now, depending on the version of the story that you've heard, You know, you know the wolf's successful, but you don't know what happens to the first little pig. He either scampers off to his neighbors, you know, to the other little pig's house, you know, going wee-wee-wee all the way home. And yes, I know that's a nursery rhyme, not part of this story. Or the big bad wolf ends up with some pork chops for dinner. But since we're in church, we're going to go with the more family-friendly version of it, and we're going to assume that the first little pig goes to the second little pig's house, okay? So, the first little pig goes to the second little pig's house. This time, they're now inside of the house that's built out of... Very good. And the big bad comes along to the second house. And the big bad wolf says, 
Little pig, little pig, let me in. And the pig replies, And the wolf says, And he does it, and the first and second little pig scamper off to the third little pig's house. Now they're inside the third little pig's house, and this house is made out of? And the big bad comes along, and the big bad wolf says, Little pig, little pig, let me in. Not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. Only this time, the wolf isn't successful. Now, again, there are a lot of different ways that this story ends, but it's probably sufficient for us to say that nothing good happens to the big bad wolf, and the three little pigs live. Very good. Give yourselves a round of applause. Y'all did great. Again, this is a story that's been passed down for generations. And there's several reasons why this story has been passed down. First of all, it's just fun to tell, okay? But more importantly than that, this is also a story that we've used to teach our children a lesson. Or as we often put it, there is a moral to this story. And the moral to the story of the three little pigs is essentially about hard work and determination and the fact that you should always do things the right way the first time, not the quick way. But here's the thing. That may be the moral of the story, but that doesn't mean that this moral is always true. As a matter of fact, one of America's most successful CEOs, Bill Gates, took a completely different approach at Microsoft. His philosophy was to give the lazy workers the most difficult tasks. You heard me say that right. Bill Gates would give his laziest workers the most difficult tasks. Why? Because Bill Gates knew that his laziest workers would find the easiest ways possible to complete difficult tasks. And this is just one example of a story I can give. We can also talk about one of Aesop's most famous fables, the one about the tortoise and the, the hare, and don't worry, I'm not going to make you retell that one this morning. But we all know the moral of the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? I've always been told that the moral of the story of the tortoise and the hare is that slow and steady wins the race. Is that what you've heard? But you know what? It doesn't. And you know how I can tell you that? A lot of you know that, you know, what, two months ago, I ran in my first ever mini-marathon. And, the, you know, I've even got the medal and the t-shirt to prove it. And there's really only one way that you can describe my pace for those 13.1 miles. And that is slow and steady. My slowest mile was just over 11 minutes. My fastest mile took just under 10, which is pretty slow and it's pretty steady. But you know what? I didn't win that race. I didn't come close to winning that race. As a matter of fact, the guy that won the full marathon, ran, who ran 26.2 miles, twice the distance I did, ran it faster than I could run 13.1 miles. So the moral of the story of the tortoise and the hare isn't that slow and steady wins the race. And it actually never has been. The moral of this story is that pride comes before the fall. If that hare had just been smart enough to run the race, instead of feeling so arrogant and prideful that he could stop and rest and snack all along the way, he'd have finished the race before the tortoise even made it around the first turn. But he let his pride get in the way. But what's any of this got to do with this morning's sermon? 
as we're thinking about what it means for us to love our neighbors and who our neighbors are. Well, this morning we're going to read one of Jesus' most memorable parables, a parable that most of us have heard many, many, many times since we were kids. But just because we've heard this story so many times doesn't mean we really understand what it says. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 25. Listen to what, what Luke writes. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right, so he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went his way. Likewise, a Levite came by the same spot. He saw the injured man, and he crossed over to the other side of the road, and he went on his way. Then a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and he bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took two full days' worth of wages and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. And when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. So what do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? The legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now clearly this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. A parable that we're so familiar with that Dr. Seuss has kind of written a book about it and Horton hears it, who in VeggieTales has made a movie about it. It's a story that we're so familiar with. We think we understand Samaritan so well that Dictionary.com suggests that half of all English speakers know what the word Samaritan means. The problem is the word Samaritan actually refers to an ethnic group and a religious identity of people who live halfway around the world from us. So why is it that we think we know what Samaritan means? Well, it's all because of this parable. A parable that many of us sitting in this room have heard more times than we can even count. And since we're so familiar with this parable, we think we know what it's all about. We think that this is a parable about what it means to be a neighbor. So who is a neighbor? Well, in this particular parable, the Samaritan is the, is the neighbor. But what makes the Samaritan the neighbor inside of this parable? Well, again, going back to dictionary.com, it gives us an understanding that most of us would agree with when it defines a Samaritan as this, one who is compassionate and helpful to a person in distress. 
So every time that we've heard preachers or Sunday school teachers or just about anybody else share an opinion on this particular parable, we've heard the exact same thing from them. If you are going to be a neighbor, you must help those that are in need. The proverbial person that has been left laying on the side of road of life. But is that really what this parable is getting at? Let's go back to the beginning of the story and take another look. In verse 25, we're told that the legal expert asked Jesus what he must do to gain eternal life. But before we can understand his question, we first need to understand who a legal expert is. Now, this is an expert of the law. This legal expert is a religious scholar who has studied and kept not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the law of Moses. This is the kind of person that we might describe today as being someone who knows the Bible cover to cover, including the covers. So when he asked this question of Jesus, what must I do to gain eternal life? He already knows the answer to the question. That's why he doesn't seem to even hesitate with his response when Jesus flips the question back on him and he says, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? The legal expert quickly responds, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus essentially tells him, yep, you got it right, just go and do it now. But the religious scholar isn't satisfied. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? But that's not really what the legal scholar, the expert, is asking. Go back to Luke 10, verse 27, and you'll start to see what he's really asking here. After the legal expert says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, the very next thing he says is, and love your neighbor as yourself. <coughs> what he really wants to know is who is he supposed to love the way that he loves himself? And this is a question that we all ask. Who am I supposed to love in this world today? So it probably makes sense that we pay some attention to Jesus' answer. And Jesus' answer is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we all kind of know how the story goes. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encounters thieves who, who beat him up, who strip him naked, naked, who leave him near death. And it just so happens that a priest and a Levite are walking down the same road. And it just so happens that the priest and the Levite are both going to see this man that is lying on the side of the road. And it just so happens that both the priest and the Levite are going to cross to the other side of the road and keep right on walking. Now over the years there's been a whole lot of speculation about why the priest and the Levite keep right on walking. But it's not really the point. And it's not why Jesus included them in the story that he was telling. So why did Jesus include the priest and a Levite? Why are they the first possible neighbors in the story? Well, it'll help if we think about what we typically think a neighbor is. And what do we typically think a neighbor is? Well, we typically think that a neighbor is someone who lives next door. It's somebody that lives in our same community, that shops in the same shops we shop in, and that goes to the same restaurants we eat in. It's a person who carries out their trash the same day we do and mows the lawn the same week that we get it done. It's somebody who basically has everything in common with us. We typically think that a neighbor is someone who is just like us. So why the priest and the Levite? Well, remember, Jesus is telling this story to a legal expert. 
And when we hear the word legal expert today, what we think about is usually lawyers. But this man is nothing like a modern-day lawyer. A legal expert in Jesus' day wasn't an expert on constitutional law or the penal code. An expert, a legal expert in Jesus' day was an expert in the law of Moses, which meant that he was a religious scholar. So when Jesus includes a priest and a Levite, he is including two people that were just like the legal expert in the story. Two people that this legal expert would have thought of as his neighbor. These are two people that the legal expert would have thought would have been doing the right thing. Why? Because in this period of time, a neighbor would have been someone that was part of your in-group. A neighbor was a person who shared a common purpose or an interest or an attitude. A neighbor was someone who shared a common blood with you or the same language or at least the same way of life. And priests and Levites and legal experts shared all of these things in common. But in Jesus' story, none of them act like a neighbor. None of them stop to help a man who is lying on the side of the road. Instead, a Samaritan does. Now, you might be aware that Jews and Samaritans don't exactly like each other. But in her book, The Misunderstood Jew, Amy Jell Levine explains what it was like for this Jewish lawyer to hear that a Samaritan was the one who had helped. She writes this, We should think of ourselves as the person lying in the ditch, and ask this, is there anyone from any group of people whom we would rather die than acknowledge that she offered help or that he offered compassion? More, is there any group whose members might rather die than actually help us? If so, then we know how to find the modern equivalent of the Samaritan. For Levine, as a Jew, the modern equivalent of Samaritan was a member of Hamas who showed mercy. When she spoke to an audience who'd experienced the horrors of September 11th firsthand, she suggested that the one who proved to be a neighbor was a member of Al-Qaeda. And this is the one who stopped and helped the man that was lying on the side of the road. Someone who was as hated as much as Israel and Hamas hate each other. Someone who is as despised as much as Americans despise member of Al-Qaeda or ISIS. That was the neighbor in Jesus' story. The legal expert asked, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer to him was, a Samaritan. The person you hate as much as anyone in the world is the person you were supposed to love as much as you love yourself. And that turned this legal expert's world upside down because he could only see a small picture of who his neighbor was. He could only see his neighbor as someone who lived next door. He could only see his neighbor as someone living on the same street. He could only see his neighbor as someone who went to the same church or shopped in the same stores or ate at the same restaurants that he did. And because of this, he could only see a small picture of who it was that he was supposed to love. He thought he only had to love people that were just like him. But what Jesus showed him in this parable is that a neighbor is not someone who lives next door. A neighbor is anyone that God sent his son for. 
That's right, that's so, so important I made a picture about it, just so you can write it down and remember it. So let me say it again for you. A neighbor is not just someone who lives next door. A neighbor is anyone that God sent his son for. And who did God send his son for? Well, you look at John 3.16 and you'll hear this. For God so loved the world. <coughs> the world. Not just priests, not just Levites, not just legal experts, and not just people who look and act and believe like you and me. But the whole world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. So who is your neighbor? It's not just the people you love. It's the people you hate. It's not just the people that you share blood with. It's people who want to see your blood spilled. It's not just the people who live next door. It's anyone that God sent His Son for. So let's love our neighbor. Let's love anyone and everyone that God sent his son for. Let's love everyone. Let's love everyone like we love ourselves. And I want to give you a challenge this week to help you do that. I want to challenge you to take another piece of advice that Jesus gives. When he says to pray for your enemies. I want you to pray this week for the Samaritans in your life. Those people that you hate, those people that hate you. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them throughout this week, and I don't want you to pray for them out of anger or vengeance or asking God's wrath to fall down upon them. I want you to pray for them like you love them. Pray for them like you would pray for your spouse or your child. Pray for them like you would pray for your best friend. Pray for them like you really love them. So when that guy cuts you off in traffic because he's talking on a cell phone, don't lay on your horn at him. Pray for him. When you're watching the evening news and you hear sound bites from that Republican candidate or that Democratic candidate that you just can't stand, pray for him. When you get a phone call from that sibling or that cousin that drives you up the wall, pray for them. When you're struggling to understand the violence that's unfolding in this world and you hear about another so-called Islamic radicalized terrorist, or when you're trying to figure out what's going on with the Black Lives Matter protesters or the Blue Life protesters matters, don't get mad. Pray for them. Pray for them. Why? Because they are all people that God loves so much that he sent his son into this world to give his life for them. Just like God sent his son into this world to give his life for you. And you should love them like you love yourself, even if they don't live next door to you. Let's pray together. God, it's no mystery to anybody that's sitting in this room this morning that we live in a world that is filled with violence and hatred. All you have to do is turn on the news, pick up a paper, click online, and you'll see stories about someone who has acted out of hatred, who is oppressed, who is attacked, who has ended the life of someone that they hate. God, you have called us 
to be more than that. We are not called to hate. We are a people that are called to love. To love our neighbor like we love ourselves. And this morning, God, we have been reminded that our neighbor is not just somebody who is like us. Someone that goes to church with us. Goes to school with us. Somebody that lives on our own street. Our neighbor is anyone and everyone that you sent your son for. And you sent your son for us all. So God, help us find ways to love each other like you love us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. We hope that it's helped you learn a little bit more about who your neighbor is, about who God is, and that it's helped you grow a little bit closer to God as well. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue digging deeper into stories from Jesus' life. And as long as nothing unexpected happens this week, we'll be exploring the story of Jesus calling his first disciples and seeing what that has to teach us about who God is. That episode will drop next Tuesday morning, and if you'll go ahead and subscribe right now, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And while you're in your podcasting app, let me encourage you to take just a second and write a review for us. Your review means a lot, and it'll help other people find this podcast and grow closer to God, too. So thanks again for listening. We hope that you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next Tuesday.